Welcome to you, wherever you're at, whomever you're with. We are so very glad that you are here with us on this very special Easter weekend. Uh, so very glad that you are taking a few moments to spend with us. Uh, before we jump into our teaching, do want to mention the U version of the Bible, absolutely free app. If you will download that, look in the lower right-hand corner under events, uh, you will find a complete set of notes for this weekend's message. Also, uh, you can replay the message on your podcast player. Uh, when you uh, uh, have that open, just search for Arlington FM Church, and there you will find a complete uh, set of uh, uh, messages, not only for this weekend, but all of our teaching content. Uh, well, uh, this Easter weekend, uh, I want to cut straight to the chase and go right to the heart of the matter and it's this whole idea, uh, did Jesus really come back from the dead? If he did, I think we'd all uh, acknowledge it would be a game changer if someone really was absolutely and completely dead and came back and proclaimed victory over the grave. In fact, uh, someone once said it like this, uh, if there are questions about uh, the reality of eternal life and our destiny, uh, I'm going to go with the one who rose from the dead. Uh, and, you know, that's what you call hedging your bets. Uh, if there are questions about eternity, uh, I'm going to side with the guy who uh, was dead and is now alive again. And, uh, you know, uh, the early followers of Christ knew uh, that this was the linchpin of their faith. In fact, uh, the Apostle Paul would write in one of his letters, Romans chapter 1, uh, Jesus was shown to be the Son of God, when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, hear that again. Jesus was clearly shown, proven to be the Son of God when, after the fact that he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is, by virtue of his victory over the grave, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And uh, I think we all uh, could acknowledge intuitively that if this really happened uh, it's a game changer. It's a game changer for how we live and how we face death. Uh, but if it's not true, uh, if, you know, Jesus was just a good teacher, but he didn't really uh, rise from the dead, well, uh, that, that too is a game changer. In fact, uh, the Apostle Paul would also write this. He said that, look, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. That pretty much sums it up. I love the way Eugene Peterson, in his message translation of the Bible, kind of reiterates this truth. He, he says, look, if all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration, a little spiritual buzz for a few short years, we're a pretty sorry lot, a group of people. But the truth is that Christ has been raised up. He's the first in a long legacy of those who are going to leave the cemeteries. I love the way that uh, reads. Uh, if he has been raised, he's the first of many who are going to walk out of their cemeteries. If it really happened, uh, that would be impressive. It would be uh, life-changing. Uh, but you know, uh, as we jump into this Easter proclamation, uh, what I want to do is not only look at a few evidences uh, that uh, underscore that it really, really happened, uh, that Jesus did overcome death, but I want to look at some of the ways that Jesus faced his own death. I think it's equally inspiring 
uh, not only his victory over the grave, but the way Jesus uh, approached the grave, the way he walked into it. In fact, uh, we're at, uh, what I call Jesus's last words, uh, the very last things that Jesus uh, spoke uh, after being uh, in this world and doing amazing things and amazing teachings, these are words that Jesus actually spoke uh, from the cross. And if, if you look at these three statements he made, they're like drop-down lists. Uh, they open up incredible possibilities, not only uh, as we face death, but the way we do life. Uh, and so, uh, you know, set the scene for these words. Uh, Jesus has been betrayed. He's been mocked, he's been humiliated, he's been beaten, he's been nailed to a cross, he's been posted uh, on a hill between two criminals who are getting their just rewards. And uh, these first words that Jesus speaks that sum up uh, his, his last words to us, uh, he spoke uh, to the people who hung him there, the people who uh, humiliated him, were continuing to insult him and mock him. Uh, in fact, as Jesus spoke these words, uh, there were guys that were rolling the dice to see who would get his cloak, uh, who would, uh, how they would divide up his clothes. And as Jesus looked upon this group, uh, no doubt through swollen eyes, he said these incredible words, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Uh, this is, uh, you got to stop and pause. And again, uh, think about this broken body uh, on the verge of death as he looks upon his uh, assailants. And uh, rather than hatred, rather than, you know, some attempt to uh, justify himself, he says, Father, forgive them. They really don't understand what's transpiring here. This is shocking. You know, in sports, there's a thing called a flagrant foul. And uh, you see someone throw an elbow in someone else's face or throw a punch, uh, pull someone down at the, uh, the you know, peril of the person that they're assaulting. Uh, we're all uh, offended by that, uh, that kind of flagrant behavior. And it's penalized. If it's severe enough, the player's ejected from the game. Well, certainly uh, these people who had yelled, crucify him, they were guilty of a flagrant foul. And uh, Jesus looks upon them, and he asks God to pardon them, uh, to forgive them, that they would not be bound uh, to their offenses. Uh, you know, I, I got to ask the question, who does that? You know, who responds to people who hurt them in that way? Uh, if I had someone put a splinter under my fingernail, break one of my toes, I'm probably going to, they're going to be enemies for life. And that Jesus looks upon those who are hurting him the worst, and he prays the absolute best for them. You know, we don't even do that when we suffer emotional pain. Someone insults you. Someone says something bad about you. Someone accuses you. Someone lies about you and trashes your reputation, uh, incites others to dislike you. Uh, we want them to burn in hell. We want them to suffer some sort of judgment for how they're hurting us. And again, uh, Jesus, uh, in the ultimate uh, crucible of his pain, uh, yearns for them to be released uh, from their darkest behavior. He prays for them. Uh, Father, release them from their flaws and their failures uh, so that this horrible day doesn't define their lives. Uh, that's an incredible 
uh, attitude towards those who have treated him unjustly. Uh, you know, someone once said this, uh, if people, if the people you're around cause you to walk on eggshells, you're not around your people. Because here's the truth, uh, when, we, when we care for others, we don't want them to be tethered to their worst selves. We don't want them to be bound to their worst behavior. Uh, how many of you ever said something that you wish you could take back, did something that you wish you hadn't done? Uh, the truth of the matter is we all need to be let off the hook from time to time in order to, to keep moving on our journey toward our best. Uh, I was um, uh, kind of a new resident of Marysville several years ago and uh, was driving down uh, the main street, State Street, and uh, looked in my mirror and all of a sudden I saw police lights uh, behind my car. And so I pulled off the main highway onto a side road. The policeman pulled up behind me and uh, came up and you know, quickly said I'd been exceeding the speed limit. I got my driver's license, my paperwork out of my glove box, went back to his car. Uh, he was in his car way too long. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, is there, is there a warrant out for my arrest? What's he doing back there so long? Do I have a doppelganger on the FBI most wanted list? And, and all of a sudden he came back to my car and uh, as I rolled down the window, he said those words that were music to my ears. He said, I'm just going to give you a warning today. And uh, I breathed a sigh of relief. Uh, anyone can deal with a warning. It's that traffic ticket that I didn't want. And uh, then he followed it up with uh, another comment. He said, watch your speed, Pastor Shockey. And uh, I thought, oh, no, cat's out of the bag. He, he knows what I do for a profession. Uh, but you know that feeling uh, of being released from judgment? That's exactly what Jesus is, is asking for for these people who hung him on a cross. Uh, these are wonderful words. Uh, these are words uh, that are an invitation. It's an invitation to be free from our failures and our flaws, uh, to learn from our mistakes, to be able to incorporate them into our life journey and to move forward. And, uh, you know, I had a dream once, and uh, it was one of those dreams that seemed way too real. And in this dream, I had committed a felony crime. I wasn't sure exactly what it was, but I knew I was going to prison and I was going to be there for a long time. And this dream felt very dark and very foreboding as I began to make my plans to be incarcerated. And I woke up and uh, had to shake my head and realize it was just a dream. I'm free. I don't have to face imprisonment. And that's exactly what Jesus is praying for from the cross. As he faces his own death, he asks for freedom for those who put him on the cross. Well, the second set of words that Jesus spoke from the cross, again, set the scene. He's been beaten and mocked and humiliated and had spikes driven through his hands and his feet, hanging on the cross within moments of his final breath. He's in between two criminals who are actually deserving their fate. And uh, one of the guys uh, on the side of him is mocking him. He's saying, you're the son of God. Get off this cross. Save yourself. He's still insulting him. But the other guy says, man, don't you get it? We're getting what we deserve. But this guy is obviously 
He's a good person. You can tell. He's done nothing to deserve the fate that has befallen him. And so he turns to Jesus and he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And, you know, it'd be so easy for Jesus to look at this guy through swollen eyes and swollen lips, crown of thorns on his head. Could have thought, man, it's a dog-eat-dog world, you know. Uh, you got to fend for yourself. It's not at all what Jesus thought and felt as he turned towards this criminal. He said these incredible words. Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Uh, that's an incredible statement. Uh, it's a statement that uh, it's truly amazing because this guy, uh, as by his own admission, he's getting what he deserved, what he'd earned in life. But uh, in his final moments, he recognizes the goodness uh, of this person on the cross next to him. And he says, uh, Lord, I know I don't deserve it, but would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus, he doesn't say, well, we'll see what we can do, see if we can work something out. He says, no, uh, full on, today you'll be with me in paradise. It's, uh, it's an absolute gracious and generous response uh, to this guy's heartfelt cry. And, you know, Jesus told a story uh, when he walked this earth, he, he he said there'll be people that come to God at different times. It's like people who are hired, some early in the morning, some midday, some at the end of the day. And according to Christ's story, he said the master chose to pay the ones who were hired just before quitting time. He paid them the same full wages as the guys who worked all day. And according to the story of Christ, the guys who got hired in the morning said, hey, wait a minute, this doesn't seem fair. We've worked hard all day, and we're getting the same as those guys. And Jesus said, look, uh, it's the master's prerogative. It's uh, if his uh, generosity. If he wants to pay the guys who are hired at the end the same, it's up to him. And he was making a point. This is the nature of God. God loves to pour his generosity out. He doesn't care if it's a final breath or from the first day that you got to enjoy walking with him. It's the heart of God to give his best to those who deserve it least. Uh, and again, uh, this is a wonderful invitation. Uh, if that first statement is an invitation to live with great freedom, here's an invitation to live with great hope. Today you'll be with me in paradise. When he was at his darkest moment, he received this incredible promise. And then the third statement uh, that Jesus makes from the cross, uh, he uh, says with his final breath, Father, as he's dying, into your hands I commit my spirit. Yeah, you know, recall one of your worst days or maybe the worst seasons of your life. You've done everything you know how to do to create some good outcomes. Maybe it's a relationship you poured yourself into. Maybe it's a career path. And it just feels like you've dead-ended. You've come to a crossroads and that you don't know what else you can do. In fact, there's nothing else you can do. You've given it at all. That's kind of where Christ is at. He's poured himself out. He's given his best. And now with his final breath, he says, God, I trust you. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And this is an amazing invitation. It's an invitation to trust that when you're at your weakest 
that's when God's strength is available. Uh, that's when we can say, uh, God, I'm casting all my cares on you because I believe that you care for me. And uh, see, these are three incredible truths uh, that Jesus took with him to the grave that he announced to us before he gave up his final breath uh, that uh, we don't have to live tethered uh, to our failures and our flaws. We can live with great freedom. Uh, we don't have to be confined by our current circumstance. We can expect, uh, because he's uh, in, a, in our lives, that he has a future in store for us. We can live with great hope. And uh, when we're at our weakest, we can live with great trust that God is for us. But here's the big question of the day this Easter weekend. Is it true? Uh, is it true? Uh, did Jesus really come back from the dead and thus validate uh, his authority to, to make all these incredible statements? Did he really walk out of the grave? You know, uh, I came across a new book a couple days ago, and it's on an old subject, near-death experiences. And uh, it's got new evidence that people uh, who had supposedly died in their hospital bed and came back to life, died on the surgery table. And uh, again, this book chronicles uh, new details, uh, things they could never have known apart from the fact that they were outside their body watching what was happening or they were traveling uh, away from the hospital and seeing details that they could recount with accuracy. Well, we all love to hear those stories because in a sense, uh, they, they verify our hope. Uh, but here, if Christ came back from the dead, it's no near-death experience. He was way on the other side of death. He was decaying. And uh, after three days, he emerged from the tomb. Well, here's one of the most compelling things about the early followers of Christ. None of them expected it to happen. None of them expected that Jesus would actually walk out of the tomb. And we're going to briefly look at three examples. Uh, it's a woman who arrived and discovered an empty tomb. It's two men who are uh, getting out of town because of all the crazy events that had taken place. And it's a group of uh, Christ followers gathered together, all of them experiencing the risen Christ in different ways. We're told uh, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. They wanted to give the body of Jesus a proper burial. Uh, and uh, They found the stone rolled away when they arrived early in the morning. Uh, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And uh, here's just a, a, a practical point. They were expecting a dead body. You know, I was uh, six years old when my father died a tragic death and uh, at his funeral service. I remember uh, as a six-year-old, uh, not all the details, but some of the ones that are riveted in my mind is uh, as a family, we were in what was called a viewing room. And uh, there was a coffin uh, outside the room, not far away from us. And uh, as we sat there with our family, uh, experiencing our grief together. Uh, at one point, we were invited to walk by the, the coffin. And uh, I don't know what I was expecting as a six-year-old, but when I looked over the edge of that and saw my dad there all uh, dressed up nicely uh, in a coat that he used to wear when he played jazz music, uh, you know, th that's what I was expecting was a, a dead body. That's exactly what these women were expecting to find when they went to the tomb, but there was no body there. 
And uh, while they were wondering about this, we're told, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. And uh, I want to just highlight one of the things that allowed them to experience uh, that maybe it was true. Maybe Jesus did rise from the dead is this sense of wonder. You see, you have to be willing to wonder, could this be true? It's what cracks the door open on our experience of Christ is uh, we are at least willing to lean our thoughts in that direction and consider, could this possibly be true? Uh, I love the story of a guy named Lee Strobel. Uh, he was the legal editor of the Chicago News Tribune. He was a skeptic by nature and he was a skeptic by profession, and he learned to look for the holes in an argument. Well, uh, Lee, as he shares his story, uh, they went through a crisis together, a minor health crisis with one of their children, and through this episode, uh, Lee's wife, who was a fellow skeptic, uh, met some followers of Jesus, and she became convinced that uh, God loved and cared for her, and uh, she opened her heart and began to follow Christ. Well, this rocked Lee Strobel's world. He couldn't believe it. His companion in life had embraced faith. And uh, so Lee set out uh, on a quest. And his quest was to disprove the possibility of the resurrection of Jesus. And after uh, just giving himself completely to this quest to disprove the resurrection, he couldn't do it. In fact, he ended up writing a book called The Case for Christ, uh, where he proves uh, in a legal court, a legal setting, uh, you cannot disprove the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, this wonderful uh, question that is asked of these women, uh, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Uh, you know, that right there is the, uh, that, that is the kernel of truth that set the world ablaze. Uh, the fact is, he's not here. He's alive, and this truth began to dawn on the women. And uh, so uh, we're told uh, these informants said to her, said to the women, remember how Christ told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners. He must be crucified, and on the third day be raised again, and then they remembered uh, those words. And when they came back from the tomb, uh, they told all these things to the 11 and to the others who were still gathered in Jerusalem. And uh, the women, uh, they're named. It was Mary Magdalene. It was Joanna. It was Mary, the mother of James, and the others who were with them. They told this to the apostles. Can you imagine the scene as they uh, arrived back in Jerusalem and they began to announce to their, their, their fellow uh, disciples that uh, the tomb was empty and they had, there was this angelic uh, appearance and they were informed uh, that Christ is not among the dead, he's living. Uh, can you imagine the celebration, the joy, uh, the, suddenly uh, it's not over, he's back. Well, that is not at all uh, how the, the rest of the disciples responded. In fact, we're told, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. And uh, the account goes on. Peter, however, got up. He ran to the tomb, 
Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, and here's that word again, wondering to himself what had happened, and uh, we won't read it, but uh, Peter himself has a revelation of the risen Christ, and it's this wondering uh, that inclined him to crack the door of faith open. Well, uh, the next experience, we got two guys who are, we're told they're on the road to Emmaus, which was probably about four miles out of town of Jerusalem. Uh, you get the sense they're just wanting to put the crazy events of the last few days behind them. You know, it's when your worst fears uh, realize and something explodes on you. Uh, you just want to get away from it. Uh, I can certainly relate to that. I was once riding my bicycle. I went into an intersection and I was in the crosswalk and a guy in a pickup truck saw there was a break in the traffic, didn't see me, and he gunned it. He slammed into me. Uh, I went flying uh, from my bike, uh, rolled on the pavement a few times, uh, ouch. Uh, and my reaction is I just wanted to get out of there. I wanted to get away from the scene of the crime. I picked up my broken bike, walked back over to the trail, actually got on it and rode away. <laughs> and the man in the truck was like, where did that guy go? And I think these two guys on the road to Emmaus, they just want to get away from the crisis. Well, what we're told is as they're walking and talking about all that had happened, Jesus joins them, and he walks along with them, and uh, he begins to ask them about what they're discussing. They say, are you clueless? Don't you know what everyone in Jerusalem is aware of, how this man who was mighty in word and deed was put to death on a cross? And now some people are saying, his tomb is empty. He's out and about. And uh, J Jesus responds to them with these words. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And, uh, you know, uh, Jesus sums up the whole Bible to them. It says he goes through the law and the prophets uh, from Moses all the way to his coming. And if you're church inexperienced, if you don't know a lot about the Bible and don't understand it, uh, here's the condensation, here's the truth. This really summarizes the entire story of the Bible, that God loves people so much, he died and rose from the dead so they could live. That's the message that Jesus, the risen Christ, sums up to these two disciples, and uh, they're so compelled that they uh, invite him uh, to stay with them at their house. And it says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, he began to share it with them, and then their eyes were opened. It's like, uh, you know, the, the dark glasses came off. They recognized that it was Jesus who was with them, and then he was gone. And uh, then they asked each other, didn't our hearts burn within us? While he talked with us on the road and he opened the scriptures to us, you know, that, that, that idea of our hearts being warmed by the truth of Jesus. Uh, here, it's, this is an indicator of his presence. Uh, you can take the opposite. My heart's cold, not really open to faith, don't really see much value in it. But when we begin to experience the living presence of Jesus, there's this warming uh, in our hearts and uh, I would just say it like this. Uh, if you're open to the truth, you're open to Jesus. <laughs> if you're open to the truth, because Jesus said, I am the truth. 
And as we begin to lean into that and open up to it, uh, there's a change that begins to happen in our hearts. Uh, you know, uh, this openness to the truth. I remember when I was looking into the claims of Christianity, uh, thinking about uh, maybe I needed this aspect of faith in my life. I, I began to read the Bible, got a, a modern translation, I started reading the accounts of the life of Jesus and the teaching of Christ. And on one, uh, one weekend, I'd gone on a ski trip over to join some friends and uh, had my uh, new used sports car. And I had my Bible on the seat. And I remember one of my friends came out to go for a ride with me in my new car. And uh, he saw that Bible on my seat and he picked it up. He said, what are you doing with this? And I said, I'm reading it. You ever read the Bible? He said, nah, he kind of sneered at me, threw it in the back seat. And uh, we did our ride, had my weekend. Uh, but I remember as I was driving home, uh, I felt like there was a, a dividing line beginning to be drawn in my life. Am I open to the truth or am I not? And, and I actually became grateful that my friend had that reaction of tossing that Bible in the back seat uh, because it, it began to actually... Uh, push me towards the truth. In fact, I felt this strange presence of Christ in my sports car with me. It was like, Jesus, take the wheel. You're here and I know it. And so that openness to truth, well, uh, these uh, two guys returned to the 12 in Jerusalem. It says uh, they got up, went back to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together. And they were saying, it's true. The Lord has risen. He's appeared to Simon, and then the two told what had happened to them on the way out of town and how they recognized Jesus when he broke the bread, uh, you know, uh, against all uh, their better judgment, against their skepticism, against their fears, against their doubts. They began to realize this really happened. Uh, he's really back. Uh, you know, the, the turning of their disposition uh, is something that we really need to wonder about if we're on a quest to find the truth. In fact, Luke would write uh, in his sequel uh, to his gospel, the book of Acts, he would write these words. Uh, he said, after his suffering, Jesus presented himself to them, and he gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. And uh, I would just ask you uh, this Easter weekend, uh, have you become convinced uh, maybe that convincing is happening for you now. Uh, maybe you're sensing, uh, as we discuss, the evidence uh, of his victory over the grave. As we discuss the truth that he spoke before he went to the grave, uh, you're finding this warming in your own heart. They're saying, you know, I, I could use some of that freedom uh, from my failures and my flaws that he spoke about. I could use that sense of hope uh, when it feels like my life's caving in, uh, that would really help me to have that anticipation of a good future. And uh, I certainly know I could uh, benefit uh, by living with a greater trust in God and being able to uh, commit my way to him. Well, you know what uh, the Bible calls that faith? Uh, when you begin to sense that, that warming of your heart, that inclination towards uh, wanting it to be true, in fact, uh, as you really dig into the disciples' reaction, they couldn't believe because of joy. Uh, there was this sense in them, uh, this almost seems too good to be true. And they became convinced against their own reservations. And uh, I would invite you uh, to do the same. I want to 
uh, invite you all to join me in a prayer, wherever you're at, wherever you're listening to this. And, uh, you know, uh, Jesus would say later on to one of his followers, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I'll come in and do life with them. I'll sup with them. And uh, there'll be this uh, growing relationship. And uh, if you're sensing uh, that willingness, that readiness, just invite you to say a prayer like this. Uh, Lord Jesus, I sense that you're, you're here. Sense that you're with me. I sense that you're inviting me to open up to you. And I want to do that. I want to thank you for what I've heard not only about uh, the way that you live, but the way that you died. And I know that's for me, Lord. Thank you uh, for uh, forgiving me of my failures, my sins. Thank you, God, for not holding this against me. And thank you, Jesus, for the assurance that as I commit my way to you, it's going to be a good way. Uh, you're going to cause uh, your fullness to begin to be worked into my life. Uh, Lord, teach me how to open up to your truth, how to follow you, I pray in Jesus' mighty name, amen.